For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line, Andrew McLean. Back again. That's right. Y'all thought I disappeared, didn't you? I didn't. I didn't. We did miss one day, and you have my most sincere apologies. Is That was not the intention. It was not our intention to allow that to happen, but... Uh, I'll give you a little bit of a, an excuse if it helps whatsoever. Yesterday was the start of football practices for P. Diddy, and it just caused all kinds of chaos. That pushed me back way too far, and I, I just I couldn't pull it off. I just couldn't. But I said, no matter what, we're going to put out a podcast today because I know how y'all are. Y'all are savage. You're savage when I don't stick to my word. And that's what I'm here to do. Here to stick to my word. So we'll do today. We'll do tomorrow. Tomorrow's um, tomorrow's my birthday. Uh-huh. So we'll do tomorrow about this time, I assume. And then uh, Thursday and, and probably Friday. Friday's our flex day. But in order to make up for that, that uh, missed one on Monday, we'll hook that up. This is our first podcast of August. Is that right? Let's see. Third, second, first. Yes! First podcast of August 2020. The year of the... The year of the coronavirus is what we'll call it. It would sound better if we could attach it to an animal like the year of the dragon or the year of the tiger. The year of the murder hornet. But now we're going to go the year of the, the coronavirus. The year of the pandemic. Man, some really crazy things happening out there today. I don't know if you have watched any news or not, but the big one is out in in Beirut, and and I saw this video. It spread like wildfire. 
probably 30 minutes after it happened, and it was this massive explosion that reports are now, they're saying, killed at least 25 people, but most reports are saying it's going to be in the hundreds of how many people died. It's fascinating to watch. It, it, it looks like a bomb went off, and nobody's really sure what this building is at Beirut Port. Um, it, it almost, just starting it off, it, it almost looked like a, a, a maybe a firework storehouse or something where uh, it's this crackling and, and firework-esque things were like popping off. And then all of a sudden, just a big plume comes up because there's several different angles. But the first one I saw, he was almost seemed like he was on the other side of the city. And as this plume shoots up in the air and this thing explodes, that ring around the plume, you've seen it on videos, whether it's, uh, you know, old videos of our military dropping a nuclear bomb or whatever, it just spreads. And it finally gets to the people that are videoing, and, and it seems, obviously, you, you hear it in the sound of whatever device you're listening, but you cannot even imagine how loud that sonic boom is that comes across uh, when that happens. Devastation all over that city there in Lebanon as well. So we'll be getting reports as to how many people died, how or what, what it was, what caused it, but absolutely uh, a fascinating video outside of the tragedy of it. Uh, if you have not seen it, you need to go online and, and look that up. It's on uh, most major news outlets right now. I'm looking at pictures as we speak. And um, uh, hundreds of casualties and uh, just widespread destruction, to say the least. So wild, wild stuff. The other things we've got going on today is um, talk on the political side of things. Talk about debates talk about mail-in voting, and then talk about just the election in general, and then all of that ultimately ties back to coronavirus, which I know you're thinking, my lord, Andrew, that's all you talk about in these podcasts is coronavirus. Well, it's pretty much running our lives at this point, and there's nothing we can do about it, and it sucks, but it's absolutely running our lives. One of the, the biggest, as of right now, the most immediate issues that I think a lot of Americans are dealing with is the, the unemployment benefits running out. And I just kind of want to lay this out for you guys so you know exactly how that's gone. There's a lot of y'all that listen to this show that are, are, are back working or you've been working through this whole thing. Hopefully you've been fortunate enough to where you've been able to work the whole time and not had to worry about the stress of of uh, unemployment running out, even though some people live in large during unemployment, but uh, they're having to stress about it now. But if you've had your job throughout all this, you know, that's something you did not have to deal with. But for those of you that, that did, uh, that ran out this week, or I guess last week was the last time you got, you got paid the state unemployment plus the $600 from the feds. Well, as we reached the end of the week, and I think it was on Friday, before Congress was set to recess, the, uh, the the Republicans, and I think it was Martha McSally, presented to the Democrats, because they were nowhere near any sort of resolution on the, the next um, package for coronavirus relief, CARES Act, or whatever they're trying to call it. So Martha McSally comes up, and she's like, here, I've got a bill. 
All this does is extend the unemployment benefits for one week. It buys, buys us seven more days where we can have a week to try to hammer this bill out and then nobody misses out on their unemployment benefits for those that are still not working. And the Democrats said, nah, we're good. We're going to go ahead and slap down the gavel and get on out of here. We ain't worried about that. Well, why is that? I thought the Democrats were the king of handouts. Those are the guys that, that want Americans to stay on the unemployment plus 600 through 2021. Well, they say they do, and, and they may. I, I firmly think that they do. But their big thing is they want it all crammed into the one package that's got all the things they want. Now, they want a, a, a very extended version of the unemployment, like I said, running into 2021, which is absolutely absurd. Because we know the, the coronavirus is gone after Election Day. So at the very least, let's cut it off there. Uh, but they want a, a trillion dollars, at the least one trillion dollars, to be pumped into these blue states that have been mismanaged for years and even decades by Democrat mayors and governors and even um, uh, Democrat senators. These blue states that have screwed their, their, their citizens over time after time after time have dug themselves with their social justice agenda, dug themselves in such a hole the Democrats on Capitol Hill are like, well, we got to bail these people out. Look how look look how bad a shape they're in. Well, yeah, they're in bad shape, but most of that has nothing to do with coronavirus. And Republicans are simply saying, let's just put coronavirus-related stuff in here. Where it started, the effects it has had on this particular city, state, county, whatever... And we'll deal with that. But the fact that those citizens of that state or that city have kept putting in Democrats for 20, 30, and 40 years, we're not going to worry about those problems from way back then. We're simply talking about problems that you've accumulated since February and March. But the Democrats don't play that game. Their deal is to take any and every bill that's that's presented, any, any bill of What's the word I'm looking for? Of girth? Is that... <laughs> sounds weird. Uh, any any large bill that's going to contain large amounts of money, they view that as their opportunity to shove in all their pet projects. So when you're talking about, just like the last bill, when you're talking about a multi-trillion dollar bill, their line of thinking is, well, this is our chance to get in all the things we've ever wanted. Like we want to shove in, uh, you know, this, that, and the other. You know, what's $500 million? What is $500 million in a, in a $3 trillion bill? It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. So what's what's the big deal? That's the way the Democrats think. $500 million. It ain't. It's nothing. It's nothing. Let's, a few million dollars here, a few million dollars here. Go to this project. Let's make sure we throw... You know, a couple hundred million over at Planned Parenthood extra on top of the 500 million a year they already get to kill some more black babies. Let's throw some over here and over there and all this stuff. Let's make sure we 
uh, pay for Black Lives Matter murals all over the United States and on the interstates. Let's make sure we get the money where it's got to go. Stuff that really, really is important. The really important stuff. Because we got to... The only way to battle coronavirus is to paint Black Lives Matter on the street. And make sure protesters can protest. And set up autonomous zones. That's how we're going to defeat the coronavirus. Oh, and let's make sure we don't let kids go back to school. We're going to pump all this money. Give all this money to to uh, school districts. Now, don't let the parents pick where the kids get to go to school. Let's make sure all that money goes there. Even though we don't want the kids going back to school. Genius. But this is, this is the thought process the Democrats have. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no logic to it. It's just big bill, cram as much as you can in there. That's all it is. Why? Because it's not their money. They don't care. Just like anybody else. If somebody handed you their credit card, said, man, just, you know what? I like you. I think you're a cool dude. Just go ahead and get what you need. You're probably going to go get what you need and some. You're going to get what you need and then get what you want and then get a little extra on top of that. It's the way this works. Not to say conservatives are physically responsible. I think in some cases, even even in a lot of cases they are, but when it comes to this type of spending, they have no regard for the future or who's going to pay for these things. Inflation, whatever it is. Granted, this is an extraordinary situation. That none of us could have ever predicted, and, and, and none of us have ever had to deal with in the past. So it's new. I get that. There's a bit of a panic where it's like, we got to do something. But as far as I'm concerned, you got to stop at some point. You can't just keep going and going and going because it's going to wreck the economy. What'll happen if Democrats have their way, and this is why, exactly why midterm elections are so important, and I've preached this to you guys that have listened to me on the radio for years. Midterm elections are so important because if one party, especially with the current state of the Democrat Party, if that party had control of the House and the Senate, imagine the damage they could be doing during a time like this. Again, totally unpredictable. But you never know what's going to come your way at any given time. And so it's important on who controls Congress. Now, our founding fathers set this up in a way to where one party isn't running roughshod for years and decades on end. So it's a pretty ingenious way to conduct the government. It's to keep a balance. But if there were no balance, if the Democrats would have closed the gap on that very slim majority in the Senate, and it would have been Trump as president, but Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi owned the Senate, we'd all be doomed right now. Every one of us. There would be zero hope. Things would be getting done, unlike they are this week. Nothing's getting done this week, but things would be getting done with Nancy and Chuck running the show. It would just be very, very bad things. Nobody'd have a job. Nobody would. It puts you in a position where you had to rely on government assistance. And that's good for some people. That's good for people that were making uh, less than whatever, eight, nine hundred dollars a week. 
Well, it's good for those people, which is a lot of people. And it's good that they got that extra money during a really weird time in this country. But at some point, it's got to be cut off. I don't think necessarily now is that time. I think you extend it or you lessen it. You, you, you present it in a way where it's based off what the person was making. Put people in a situation where they're going to be making more money by going back to work if that work is available. And work is available. It's out there. And I know a lot of it's grocery stores or fast food or whatever, but if you're in the position where you are making more off of unemployment than you were making before, then you're going to be kind of in that same realm going back to one of those jobs. But something's got to happen. Something's got to give. And we'll see. And there'll be big political backlash from this stuff. Big time. Of course, both sides are blaming one another on whose fault this is. But all Americans know that aren't working right now, all they know is that my $900 just dropped down to $300 a week. And that's going to be a problem for some people. And they want to know who's responsible. Well, then they're going to hear that Martha McSally at least tried to buy a week on Friday. Democrats said, no, we're good. We'd rather have nothing than one more week of uh, state and federal unemployment benefits. And then they'll have to answer for that. I, I, just from a political point of view, and the political nerd I am, that instance right there has been a loss for Democrats. Because they haven't been able to come out and convey to the American people why it was a better idea to say, let's take nothing at all instead of extending it a week. That it's a better idea for them to go the route they did instead of just jumping on with Republicans for a one-week deal. Just one week. Just to buy them some time. It was better for them to say, no, we're good. We don't, we don't want these people to have nothing. They've done nothing to explain that. Then... Now that puts the president in a particular situation where he's going to see the ramifications of inaction in Congress and is talking about using executive action in order to stop evictions and stop people from uh, losing, losing their homes, losing their cars, losing the things that they have to have to get by. Which he has the power to do. But he doesn't have the power to dole out money like Congress does. Congress holds the purse strings. And so he's at the mercy of them on that front. But he's making it clear that he's going to do what he's got to do in order to keep society intact until we can get through this. Now, with all that said, it should be extremely infuriating to everybody that this crisis is manufactured and that we're even having to deal with this. All of that I just explained to you should have been nothing but a figment of our imagination and something that we're like, man, that would suck if that really happened. Unfortunately, it did happen. It's because we have a virus that snuck up on us, yes, but could have easily been handled. And I don't mean the government mishandled it. I don't mean that uh, we didn't we didn't wear a mask like we should have. We didn't shut down nationwide early enough. 
I mean, we've currently got a solution to fix this. And the people that have a financial interest in making sure nobody gets well yet is not letting that happen. Dr. Fauci is leading that group. I've said it on multiple podcasts. This guy has billions and billions of dollars waiting on him when a vaccine is created. And if something comes out, whether that's a malaria drug that's been around 50 years or a a freaking 800 milligram ibuprofen, there's no way he and the others in power, Big Pharma or whoever, are going to let the American people get their hands on that. The rest of the world's doing it. Every other developed country is like, no, we're good. We'll use uh, hydroxychloroquine. We got a problem with that. Who would have a problem with? Who would have a problem with giving people a drug that's that's helping them survive the coronavirus? Well, us, us, because we're greedy. We've got some evil people in power. That's why. And that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's what's going on on Capitol Hill right now. Also, the talk of mail-in voting is run amok, and it's amazing to me. This is what I see when I watched Kaylee McEnany's briefing earlier today. And she's, she's constantly asked, and it's not really even a question. It's them just making rude, snide remarks about why, can't, why, why does the president think it's okay to to do absentee voting, but he doesn't think the rest of the country should be able to do mail-in voting. And it's it's a common sense question with a common sense answer that it's hard for me to believe that the journalists that ask these questions really don't know the answer to it, and they're just doing their job as Democrat operatives. I have to believe that's true. There's There's no way they're taking themselves seriously in asking these questions. Because when you look at places like Los Angeles County, who have 112% of their population registered to vote, which means if they sent out mail-in ballots, they would send out 112% of their population. That's how many ballots they would send out. (laughs) Right. So you had 12% of the ballots, 12% extra ballots that anybody could get their hands on and do whatever they want to do with it, right? You can't convince me that they're that stupid that they don't get the math. And that's that's the case all over the country. Think about this. Think about people move, people die, people, you know, even right now, people get evicted, people get divorced and have to, I mean, think, think about all the factors, all the factors that would keep you from getting a mail-in ballot on or before... Well, you have to get it well before November 3rd because you got to get it in by then, right? November 3rd, November 5th, 4th. November 4th is Election Day. Think about all the different things. And you guys that are listening, y'all can come up with a plethora of, of, of reasons somebody wouldn't get their ballot. Out of 350 million people, all of those are not, obviously not voters, but say half of them are voters or adults that are registered to vote. It's probably around the range of 40%. 
One, you got the amount of people that do not vote. What's going to happen to their ballot? You got the people that, as we said, died, moved, whatever. Then you've got people, political operatives, if you will, that are going to be running around checking people's mailbox to grab extra ballots so they can then mail them in themselves with their preferred candidate. There have been cases of of mail-in voting because some cities have tested it out. And they're finding ballots in the trash, uh, nailed to bulletin boards and apartment complexes. Like, it's just an absolute disaster. And it's common sense that it would be a disaster. Think about how corrupt our, our government is right now. Whether you look at it as the deep state or just Congress itself or whatever. How corrupt they are and how absolutely out of their mind they are about winning this election. Do you think... They're going to allow a, a mail-in voting system that has got to be put together in a matter of three months. Do you think, or less than three months, do you think they're not going to attempt to take advantage of that in any way, shape, or form? Whether that's the examples I gave you into stealing ballots or throwing away ballots. You, you think the people that are actually counting the ballots at the end of the day, you think those guys are going to be 100% honest? You don't think you don't think somebody within the deep state can send somebody in there and, and, and mess with the ballots as they're being counted? They had these people embedded in the, highest, in the highest organizations in our government trying to take down the president who did absolutely nothing wrong. If they can have people in the FBI and in the CIA in the intelligence agency, at some of the highest levels, running a coup on a duly elected president, don't you think they could sneak some measly ballot counters in there to sway an election? Give me a break. It's absolutely absurd. Democrats are calling for more funding for a system to put together. It's crazy. And and this is how quickly Democrats swing from one direction to the other because there's always there's always footage or audio that you can find of some prominent Democrat saying the exact opposite thing that they're saying today. Because they've allowed the mob to run run their narrative 100%. Here's Debbie Wasserman Schultz and this is back in this was either the 2000 election or the 2006 election when there was talk. I think it's 2006, if I'm not mistaken. When there was talk of mail-in ballot, mail-in voting for just for the state of Florida. I guess it was, I don't know if it was hurricane season or what. I, I vaguely remember this, but I found the clip the other day. And it's fascinating to see it was just a few short years ago the Democrats were 100% behind the idea that mail-in voting was absolutely absurd. This is a report from CNN. I know, you're shocked. CNN, right here, listen. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz argues a mail-in ballot has wrong written all over it. It'd be a risky experiment for us with an election that has stakes as high as a presidential election does. We've never done a mail-in ballot statewide. Wasserman Schultz is worried about signature fraud, disenfranchising college students, getting addresses wrong, and having private donors instead of states footing the bill. She favors seating the delegates already chosen. But there's a way to solve this without totally redoing this and causing more chaos. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz is one of the scummiest people in the Democrat Party uh, to, to this day. But back then, 
Back when Democrats had some common sense, I'll give them that. They haven't been absolute lunatics. Really, if, if you look at the bigger picture, they haven't been lunatics for that long. They used to be moderates. A lot of them did. Back in the early 2000s, well before that, you would have never seen Democrats saying the stuff that they say today. And a big big example of that, you look at Joe Biden and where he is today from where he was. Now, he, he, he's almost a living, breathing example of it because you can watch him go back and forth from moderate Joe to super progressive Joe in a matter of minutes. If he's talking about a particular issue, depending on the crowd, he may go super Bernie bro progressive on the answer, and then two weeks later, he's in front of a bunch of old people in Pennsylvania, he's asked about the question, he gives a completely different answer that's way more moderate. But he is the perfect example of where old moderates belong in the new Democrat Party. And it's not that the Democrat Party's just having a flare-up of liberal activism and, and super left-wing progressivism. It's growing. And it's going to continue to grow. In each presidential election, those super progressives are going to get higher and higher and higher until they are the candidates each and every year. Because people like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, even if they're considered moderate today, and they don't consider consider them to be so, they're going to be gone soon enough. And it's going to be the people like AOC and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, who are the seniors in Congress. And they're going to be the ones within the party that are deciding who to prop up as the candidate. That should scare the crap out of you. That should scare the crap out of you. Not maybe necessarily for you, but for what your children are going to have to go through once some of those people get in power. It's going to be wild. There's no doubt. But hey, we're in 2020. Can we just worry about 2020? Can we just worry about somebody not getting shot over a mask? I'm looking at a... Um, I guess this is out of Las Vegas. Las Vegas gambler removed from famous Four Queens Casino in handcuffs after he went in without wearing a mask. So here we go. Y'all have seen it tonight. Y'all have seen business owners be arrested for operating their business. We've seen very few cases of people being harassed by authorities for not wearing a mask. But here we go. We got one. Here's a guy. Las Vegas was bundled out of the building and handed over to the cops for uh, uh, flouting public safety rules on Saturday night. The photograph reported, pho the, the, the photographer reported that the man was yelling for help when he was taken outside by five security guards. The bouncers were wearing face masks. However, bystanders had their coverings pulled down around their chin. This is the absurdity of it. Even your most prominent mask wearer is not going to keep their mask on for the entirety of being in public. They're not. 
you think of, think right now of the person you know, whether that's a, a relative or a friend or whatever. They're 100% pro mask. Everybody's got to wear a mask. It's you know uh, our 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 humanity and, and society depends on you wearing a mask. You will find times where that person has their mask around their chin. And at that point, is it not rendered useless? Is the point of the mask completely null and void now that you've pulled it down because the, the, the virus is that contagious? Think about it. The reason you have the mask on is in case you have the virus. So you're wearing it all the time because you're assuming you always have the virus. If you do have the virus and you pull it down, whoever is within six to feet of six to ten feet of you when you pull it down, guess what? I got coronavirus now. And you've been wearing that mask all that time for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Dr. Fauci, your aunt, your mama, your sister, your best friend, all these mask people, they're pulling their mask down. Especially you mask people going to restaurants. I'm just going to say it. If you're a mask person and you're hammering other people on social media as a keyboard warrior for not wearing a mask, and you're going to a restaurant, and you're not shoving food down your gullet, up the bottom of your mask, shoving it in your mouth, then you should be ashamed of yourself. I want to see you mask people eat with your mask on, from now on. No exceptions. If I catch one of you mask people out, and taking your mask off to get a drink, or to think about a food, I'm going to say something. I am. I'm going to get up from my table without my mask on, and I'm going to say something to you. I'm be like, sir, ma'am, you are putting my family in jeopardy by taking your mask off to take a bite of food. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Security! Security, get in here. This lady is eating without a mask on. I'll do it. You don't think I'll do it. I will. But that's where we're at. 2020, y'all. That is 2020. I know you're excited. I'm excited. We got so much more of it to happen. So much more to come. If you ain't following us on social media, what in the heck are you doing? Find us on Facebook. See, Facebook came in handy. It normally doesn't. It did yesterday. Because I was able to let everybody know there was not going to be a podcast. A Monday podcast. So everybody didn't freak out. They knew because they followed. Over the line on Facebook. Over the line on YouTube. YouTube.com slash over the line. If you want to watch these podcasts and see my beautiful face. Or half of my beautiful face. Because the other half is behind a microphone. And uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the podcast platforms. You can find Over the Line on there as well. And don't forget Parlor. I don't know if y'all have given up on Parlor yet or not, but I'm still on there. I try to keep stuff updated. And that's uh, Andrew McLean Who. Andrew McLean Who on Parlor. Andrew McLean Who on Twitter. All right. Next time y'all hear from me, I'm going to be one year older. That's right. The big B day tomorrow. So y'all uh, make sure you listen to the show and wish me a happy birthday. I'd appreciate it. I don't even know how old I'm going to be. That'll be the big surprise tomorrow. I'll let y'all know how old I am. 
Until next time, see you, cool.